Welcome back to another ESL podcast, man. I'm your host as always. And if you guys are watching me on video, YouTube, Facebook, man, thank you so much. Today is a special, special day. I got Miss Crystal Weber, although Weber in German, ESL. So grateful to have met her on Aww. wonderful LinkedIn. I saw the work that she was doing. She was like, her website and that she had these courses and I'm like, oh my God, I need to dive into the mind of this individual because again, the connection and everything on this podcast and the people I've brought on, it's all about that. That's the fundamental. So today you guys are going to love this one. And first and foremost, Crystal, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks, Arsenio. What an introduction that was. Wow. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. You know, I love giving my introductions and I, you know, I come in here just swinging with that energy. So this is a really interesting topic because again, we're going to be talking to you guys from a teaching and student perspective. The pages that I'm going to share this content on is going to be very good for a lot of you who are trying to make that decision. Should I pay? Or some of the teachers who are like, okay, should I do this? There's so many different areas and different things that we're going to be going into in this podcast. And the theme is how to choose an online ESL teacher. Now, before we do that, Crystal, you could just lay the foundation for the video aspect of it. You know, your journey, going to Japan, going to Germany, going to England, teaching these people, these, all these different things. You give them a nice little introduction. Right. Okay. So my background is... Um how to summarize this. <laughs> I, I did know. go to Japan. That's where it sort of all kicked off. After I finished my undergrad degree in English, I went to Japan and promised my mom I was going to go for a year. And I've now been abroad for going on 15 years. So I spent uh, two years in Japan, moved from there to Germany, moved from there to where I am now here in the UK. Um, originally, I'm Canadian. Once I arrived in the UK, I trained as a secondary English teacher. So I went to the University of Warwick and got my qualified teacher status there. And I just found the public school system here in England to be an uphill battle. <laughs> Let's say it. Yeah. I hear um, you. I hear you. <laughs> and very incompatible with family life because uh, a couple years into that career, my husband and I decided to start a family. And once you have a baby, a 70 hour work week just isn't a possibility. So I stepped out of that career for what was meant to be a temporary break. And I ended up when the children got a little older to finding some footing in the online ESL world, which was sort of dialing it back to my roots really with um, teaching preschool ESL in Japan. Uh, and I fell in love with it. It was a great avenue to utilize my training and qualifications, but on my own terms. So I set my own schedule. Um, I worked it around, you know, the children's school hours. I still had that interaction and all the best parts of teaching, but none of the bureaucracy and the paperwork and so forth. And at the time, I was employed with some of the big you know, Chinese online ESL companies. And it, that was terrific. I can't recommend it highly enough, really, because it's such a learning curve. And the part that I loved the best was once I got a feel for their curriculums, uh, curricula, I could literally rock up, open my computer 
teach the lesson, sign off, and call it a day. There wasn't any prep involved and no extra time. So when I eventually shifted to freelance online teaching, that became a massive downside, really, the freelance preparation that was involved. And I looked and looked to see if there were any resources I could use just for adaptation purposes, because as a qualified teacher, I didn't necessarily need something that um, was all fulfilling. I could adapt any resources. And I just didn't find anything that was similar to what I had used with the, uh, the big companies that I was employed with. And so I decided to do it myself. <laughs> Basically, I pulled from all of these different areas of my experience and decided to form a step-by-step -step curriculum specifically built for online ESL teachers that they can use in their freelance work, but log on, you know, get a feel for it first, but log on, teach it and go. And that, and then they're not sort of lowering their income with additional prep time. So that's where crystal clear ESL came in was that I wanted to provide something that I felt wasn't there. Um, and I was preparing it anyway for my own freelance work. So that's how I got here today. <laughs> oh, wow, man. From bureaucracy, such as myself, being in the government school system out here in Thailand, and completely shambolic, to a solopreneur, exactly what I'm doing right now. And those avenues, to be honest with you, we've already covered this, and then we're going to be getting into the, you know, the whole online teaching room, is, you know, when I started my podcast, and like I told you, back in March 27th of 2018... That was the inception. And as I was just telling you right before this video, seeing the results, it took three years. But at the same time, like I had to pay money to have my podcast be hosted and to get listeners from around the world. No. You wow. know? And so, I mean, this right here, you know, it was something that I always wanted to do because I hated people telling me what to do or do it mm -hmm. like this, do it like that. If it's constructive criticism, okay. But if it's just like, okay, do this, 80% in this book and do this and do that. I'm like, guys, this isn't helping them whatsoever. What are you talking about? So, you know, now that both you and I are in the entire solopreneur world and there are so many people out there, teachers, and we're now in the age where digital is everything and creating content is everything because there are lockdowns and there'll be not lockdowns for the rest of the year. <laughs> now there is the aspect of, I know, <laughs> you're like, I hope not. Uh, now there's the aspect of students who are looking for teachers, teachers who are looking for students. And then while we were talking, we were talking about, you know what, an online ESL teacher. So listen, Crystal, I don't know about you, but on Facebook, there are so many different people out there and they say, hey, I could do this for you. I can help you with this. And you know, uh, I can help you in preparation for this, but they don't have the content. They don't have the qualifications. They don't have the podcast. They don't have anything to back it up. So that's from a teacher perspective. Then that directly influences the decision of the students saying, ah, I don't know if I should mess with you. I don't even know if you're capable. So we're talking from two different areas here. I don't know which one you would like to take. I'll guide you in that, but you know, okay. What's a little, what's the first step that a student could take in terms of, oh, I don't know if I should select like people, they listen to my podcast. That's right. the biggest driver. 
They understand right. who I am. They connect with me and the trust is already extended. However, on Facebook, like I told you before, it's a little bit different because they don't know me through podcasts. So anyways, right. yeah, you go ahead. So from a student perspective, I think um, whenever possible, COVID notwithstanding, it's best to have a live language tutor. There's a lot of reasons for that. But if you can do it live, I would urge you to, to find a teacher in your local area. But we're hugely lucky right now um, in this day and age that we have the capability and the technology to have this online option. And especially right right now within this COVID world um, where live is really not an option, I think looking for a, a teacher for an online purpose is kind of even more difficult really. So a student should really start out with researching where to find a teacher, whether that's Facebook or LinkedIn or Google. So getting your hands on a number of teach, teacher possibilities and then delving into their adverts first and looking at sort of what experience and qualifications they have, whether they have a specialism. So some language, are, language teachers are real generalists, which is great, particularly if they're teaching children or beginner um, language speakers. But a lot of teachers will also have a specialism such as TOEFL speaking preparation or some kind of background that they bring into it, like in a past life they were an engineer of some form. So it's great to find a teacher that you can connect with on that level in terms of experience, but also in terms of your language goals. Um, the next thing to consider is whether or not you're interested in a native English speaker and what um, accent they have or a, a non-native English speaker. So that is, it's a debate, isn't it? It's always a debate. It is, yeah. It always, it's always a debate. <laughs> I think there's a great place for a non-native English teacher because they have been a learner of the language themselves. They've approached English in a very systematic way. They've learned all of the detailed grammar um, themselves, and therefore it puts them in a real stead to teach it and to pass that information on. Because the fact of it is, 99% of native English speakers, even if they've trained in English, uh, literature or English language, they haven't gone into the depth of detail for grammar and language acquisition that somebody who's learned English themselves has done. So I think there's a real place for a non-native English speaker, but that said, you do have to factor in accent. That's, you know, some people are specifically looking for a particular accent and power to them, you know, it's not for us to judge. Do you think it's necessary? I don't think that it's necessary in terms of communicating in general. I think that there are some non-native English accents that are nigh on indecipherable. <laughs> Wait, you said native, native English accents, right? No, both or really, no. but oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. what you want to know, and this you're only going to know by speaking to the person yourself, is whether or not they're clear. Because I think the accent is not so important yes. as the clarity, really. Mm. And then do they use basic grammatical functions? I have a friend here in the UK, I won't say where she's from, 
but she's from a country where English is one of their national languages. And so she grew up learning it. She's lived in the UK for 15 years and she still mixes up her subject verb agreements. She's not a teacher. It's not necessarily something that she has like honed in on to improve, but she Mm -hmm. is, you know, a trained and qualified university uh, graduate and something as basic as subject verb agreement isn't clear for her. So for her to pass that on to a learner, should she Mm. so choose, would be a real detriment to that learner. But then you dial that one back and we've got thousands of native English speakers trying to teach specifically online who also don't know. <laughs> hey, can, can we please address this issue? Like there's so many conglomerates and titans out there, as you just said, with the Chinese company and everything. But like, I, I hate to, you know, Globish. Globish is a big one. One, two, one talk. Now Globish is in Thailand. However, who are these teachers that they hire? Right. And I saw one of their videos and I'm like, well, and more importantly, (laughs) what are that company's standards? What are their standards? What is their recruitment process? Or are they a teacher mill? Are they looking for the least cost and the most teachers on roll? You know, it's, it's a business. I don't know that all of them are looking for quality. Right. Right. Wow. So Two things. I remember speaking to another teacher. She's from Nebraska, worked in an international school. I actually brought her onto this podcast of like two years ago, Katrina. And she lived in Greece, taught at an international school, taught at an international school in Panama too. And she said the same thing as you, mixing up the subject verb agreement. So there were people who had reached out to me on LinkedIn and they were of, you know, the Greek background and whatnot. But she kind of implicated saying, Katrina implicated saying, yeah, I know her. And, you know, well, you know, uh, you know, and me, it's not me to say or judge. I'm not that type of person. But she was kind of implicated saying, I don't know if she can fall under the umbrella as a native English speak, you know, teacher at an international school based on what I've heard. Now, me, I don't like go into that because I just feel like that's just not my place. But, you know, again, my student, just before us getting on the video, he said, Arsenio, can you tell me which one is the answer? I said, Neymar, that's his nickname, because uh, it was a long time ago. Uh, and I said, listen, none of those are the answer, okay? It's what plus the subject plus an auxiliary verb, right? In He was like, see, my teacher, you know, and she's like 50 years old teaching English. My teacher, she's so bleep, 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 bleep. I'm like, I just, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. So again, it's kind of like me. If I learn Thai, I ain't going to be, I'm never going to be able to teach Thai. No offense. No, I'm just not, I'm not going to be that type of person. If I speak a lot of Spanish, I would never say, okay, I'm going to be a Spanish teacher unless it's very primary, basic, like, Anuban, yeah. which they call kindergarten out here, you know, primary one, primary two, that's it, you know, but other than that, you know, just putting my opinion out there, it's, it's, it's a little crazy, you know? <laughs> no, I mean, I, like I say, I absolutely think there's a place for non-native English teachers. Absolutely. absolutely. I think you just have to be discerning when it comes to 
trying your teacher, which is actually one of the points I wanted to get to in terms yeah. of trials. But first, what you need to consider as well when researching a teacher's advert it, are the practicalities. So when are they available? What platform do they use and do you have access to it in your country? As well as payment, there are big payment issues. As my background is mostly teaching Chinese children online. It is really difficult to get payment out of China. So you have and to Iran. Sure. Yeah. And Iran. Yes. There are other countries Extremely with hard. this issue. So you need to make sure that that's going to work out. Um, another thing is, is that teacher going to guarantee you a block of time every week? And is that what you want? Or is your schedule just going to be bounced around amongst their other responsibilities? Do they offer a block booking so you can buy a bundle of classes, perhaps even at a discount all at once? And obviously, how much do they charge? Now, that's a big one because as we've just recognized, the field is hugely oversaturated with teachers at the moment, which is absolutely to your advantage as a student when it comes to looking for a teacher. But, but often what you pay for is what you get. Don't you agree, Arsenio? So what do you get? What do you think about? Okay. So often wait. Okay. So this is from a teacher perspective. Now, you know, I'm going to give you a tell of two tells my Spotify market. When they hear what I deliver to them, they're like, Oh my God, I love this guy. How right. much is it? No problem. Boom. That's the Spotify market because I don't know. I think I extend so much trust to them. I'm so authentic. However, on Facebook, it's different. There are demographics on Facebook that are not my demographics, such as mm -hmm. some places in Southeast Asia, some places in the Northwest part of Asia, like India, Bangladesh. So when they come to me, they try haggling me and dropping my prices. And then I was right. speaking to Lisa Cato, who I had brought onto the podcast before. She's like, never give discounts, only give discounts on your own or just put that into some kind of charity that you do but you never wow. want to make yourself look cheap and so there it is Crystal. It there's a lot of desperation yeah you see what it i is. mean so what like how do you like i i don't, well no it's not you so much because you have the platform you bring the teachers and the teachers teach from your curricula but from but your i'm also coming at it from a teacher's point oh of view, that's true having yeah. having that in my background so yeah, I would agree that you shouldn't drop your prices and that you should absolutely price yourself according to what qualifications and experience you bring into it. Because as a qualified teacher myself, I have to argue that you're getting better value and more uh, sustained progress, quicker progress with a qualified teacher than with, um, you know, your average Joe who's who's looking to supplement their income with no formal teaching experience or um, training. So I think that qualified and experienced teachers can charge higher rates and that you should always try to find the best, most experienced, highest qualified teacher you can afford when you look for a teacher. And if you need a grammar specialist, Make sure you specifically ask them about that 
because that will be part of the qualifications they bring, I guarantee the vast majority of teachers won't have that background. So you may end up paying more for a teacher that has a solid framework of grammar. Absolutely. Wow. Interesting. Right. Or like, exam you know, prep. Mm. You know, from your own exam prep background, some <laughs> teacher... I'm flexing on it, baby. Go yeah, ahead, yeah, and you should because it's a it's a massively small pool of teachers who can tell a student and deliver on a promise that they know an exam like TOEFL or the IELTS that they can prep you sufficiently in a knowledgeable way for that. Most teachers are generalists. So if what you need is something specific, make sure that's what you're paying for. Absolutely. Have you so found that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh man. You know, <laughs> like like my story. Um, six years ago, I was like, what's TOEIC? What's IELTS? What's this? What's that? Right. And then I realized that it would make me a very small fraction of the teachers at my language center that would be able to like coach students through that. So I right. knew that, okay, at the end of it, I would have more work. But then I said, well, let me just start putting it on podcasts. I don't know. Let me just let, like put a variety of things on there. And the next, you know, they ended up becoming the top podcast in, on Spotify, like in terms of right. English language learning. So, but, and Amazing. with TOEFL, and we look at different people out there, like, oh man are people willing oh my god how do i take this how do how can i put this because some people are scared because the teachers won't give trial lessons they come off as a hard sell they come right. off as a transaction rather than bringing like an authenticity to it but then again i know from my perspective about five months ago i went into a group on facebook and i was like hey i'll get free consultations and i literally that was 40 hours of like 40 different students through, yeah. span throughout the course of a month or whatever. And I felt like I didn't get much return. Although like maybe eight of them came back and said, I got my score, I got my score. But other than that, it was yeah. just like, I felt like I was used and abused kind of, I you agree. know? <laughs> I mean, I totally agree. I think that there's a fine line. I think that in my experience, the downside of offering free trials is you get a high rate of time wasters and a high, high rate of cancellations, which I'm sorry, from the teacher perspective, it's hugely damaging to your career and your lifestyle in terms of what you could have been doing during that time. So I think a happy medium would be to charge a reduced rate, even, even something really $5 or $1, some small monetary amount that shows that student's commitment. Minute. To that yeah, demo. I like it. Right? Uh. Yeah, because if you're giving it for free, that student has no reason to turn up or follow up to say, oh, I need to reschedule. Something's come up. But even at a $1 or whatever your currency is, commitment in their mind, that tells them they have committed to this. They must follow through. The percentage of people who then back out or don't give it their all just lowers so much from a minimal, minimal commitment. So that would be my advice there. 
And I do think that all language teachers should offer a trial class or a demo class. I think it's so important. I mean, you're not only learning the basics, like how well presented that teacher is, whether they're punctual, whether they've arrived prepared, but really important things like, are they allowing you enough student talk time? Because for a sort of advanced speaker, that should be 80% student talk time, 20% teacher talk time. You also want to know if you've had a spark with this teacher. Ask them the questions. Do you have any common interests? Does the conversation flow easily? Are they correcting you in a positive manner? And corrections are really important too because you have to um, sync up with your teacher in terms of corrections, do, does your teacher correct you, like stop you in the middle of a sentence to correct you? Or are they having a free flow conversation with you and quietly making notes to come back at the end? You know, what is their style, but also what do you prefer? What do you think is more effective? I like that. This could be very good for teachers out there. Right. As a teacher myself, I use the, the second technique where I tend to take notes of things and come back because I think if you are maybe not constantly, but regularly interrupting the student, not only is the, the train of conversation being lost, but you're actually attacking their confidence in just yes. laying it all out there. So um, I would definitely advise the latter. I'm so glad you said that because I've worked with, <laughs> you know, cause I work with along like five years ago, I've worked with so many old heads that do not like to get better at anything. And they would constantly interrupt or like demean the student. And this would right. destroy the confidence of them. Yeah. And so from my perspective, being a TOEFL instructor, what I do, okay. Speaking question part four. All right, let's listen, take your notes. I don't interrupt them while they're speaking for the minute. That would be ridiculous. He's not going to be interrupted by the computer, right? So I'm going to just sit there, write down everything. Okay, so here we go. So I love that. That's a really, really yeah. good way of putting it. It's important because I think um, from my, so my husband is German, hence the Weber as the surname, but um, I have spent many years trying to learn German very, very slowly. And I would say from my own language acquisition process that confidence is like 90% of the battle. You want to do everything you can to boost their confidence rather than drag them down. So if interrupting has a chance of lowering their confidence in trying the language and using it, then don't do it. <laughs> Leave it for the right. end. Draw upon it in a subsequent lesson even and, you know, file it away for a time and say, okay, this student showed... Um, a need in this area. Let's do a little bit next lesson to focus on that. Mm. Right? Yeah, there was a there was a, a lady from what is it from Egypt. She's a pharmacist, wonderful individual. She wanted me to go really in depth. And I'm like, okay, so I what I did as a you know, as a coach, and I said, okay, let me grab a software. Let me get that audio. I'm going to transcribe her voice, the, her voice word for word for that minute. I'm going to put it on a word document and then Correct. I'm going to show her exactly everything. And then wow. when they're looking at their words, their voice, they're like, ah! no, but at the time, <laughs> like when I'm listening, it doesn't sound too bad, but when I look at right. it and then 
I get obviously the audio extract and I say, okay, what can we do differently next time? Were there enough linkers in there? Did it have coherence? Was there cohesion right. towards the end? You know? Right. And so there, yeah, yeah. I, you know, doing this whole coaching, obviously online has taught me so many different things and whatnot, but you know, I wanted to go back to the free demo lesson because from a teacher perspective and from a student perspective, they need to know how you are. And I know that you were talking about, you know, um, you know, does the conversation flow? Does it not flow? What if I don't know if it flows from a student's perspective? If you don't feel that they're being real, if you don't feel like they're very this or they're not too conservative, like they have to find someone that fits their personality. Is that exactly? Is that Exactly, which actually is even harder to do in an online situation than in a live situation, isn't it? Because you're not getting the body language, the facial cues, the eye contact so much. So you need to ask the probing questions and both parties need to prepare. Like as from a student perspective, you should really be sitting down with a list of questions that you want to ask that teacher. And the teacher will normally have done the same. And one of the big ones, well, indeed, two of the big ones, is that you need to come to some sort of understanding about what your language goals are, your timeline, and what's possible, you know, in that Ooh, timeline goal from setting. both sides. Okay. And, and come to an understanding that it's all practical, like you, you will be able to achieve it or the steps that it will take to get there, the sort of hours per week or the investment that you'll need to make. Make sure that you're, the teacher and the student are on the same page with that. Mm, yeah, even saying on, <laughs> there was, this, you know, back then there was a student after like teaching him for two, four hours, he confronted me. This is a woo, six years ago, I believe. And he was like, well, to be honest, I feel like I haven't improved. And it was business right. English too. And I'm like, so from a student perspective, when could they begin to see improvement? And again, that practicality, because sometimes, uh, yeah, from a TOEFL, it's like when you do coaching right. and you pay that price for coaching, you see improvement in, in two hours, no doubt. And four or five hours, that's it. Go get your score, you know, I but mean, yeah. But you've got really categorized, specific yep. learning points to work through yes. with exam yes. prep. Whereas there, uh, there are a lot of teachers out there and students who request it to have a real free form style of lesson when it comes to business English or advanced English learning. It tends, there tend to be a majority of teachers and students who say, well, you know what, I'm C1 or B2 level. I really just need free talk. I've learned all the grammar in that. And as a teacher myself, I would say that in 99% of cases, a structured lesson is going to be uh, a better solution for that student for so many reasons than a free form, free talk lesson. I hear it all the time, students um, signing up for a demo and they just say, you know, I just need conversation practice, not formal lessons. And the teacher's like, ding, 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 ding. Because essentially that means no planning, which happy days, <laughs> raises their <laughs> hourly rate, doesn't it? But um, right. there's, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't advise it and, unless you really are sort of like C2, really experienced speaker, I would say you should aim for having 
structure in your lesson always. And it's just as mm. you said, Arsenio, you're just not going to get the signposts of progress in a free form lesson like you will in something that's structured where you can concentrate on um, different skill sets, different points of grammar per lesson and have that to refer back to as well. Like, oh yes, it was four lessons ago. We covered such and such. Let's come back to that. Repetition. Are you ensuring yes. that repetition, which is so necessary to language learning, if you're taking a free form, free talk approach? Repetition mm. is so important. Right. Fluent, other than like developing their spoken fluency and their words per minute rate, <laughs> like, you, right. you know, other than that, you know. There is I, I, the benefit, really. And you can right. and, develop spoken fluency in a structured lesson as well. A structured mm -hmm. lesson doesn't have to mean like have a textbook, work through it page by page, you know, do some exercises. Let's mark this together. That's not what a structured lesson means anymore. It's not like 1950. <laughs> <I think. laughs> um, Tell us what a structured lesson is then, because now well, going into your phase and what you got going on, Crystal's ESL, yeah. Tell me exactly what structure is, because this might help everyone out there. Yes, I think um, a structured lesson would appeal to numerous learning styles. So from a sort of education background, you would learn about the seven learning styles and that every individual has a group of styles, let's say. There's often one predominant one or two even, and then some that you also benefit from to a lesser degree. But studies have shown that variation in the delivery and execution of material really contributes to long-term progress and retention of that material. So that is truly important because in an online classroom, we are even more limited with the learning styles than in a live one. You know, you think about, for example, um, the verbal and nonverbal learning style. You're, like we said earlier, you're just not getting it. You're, you can't necessarily pick up on the posture, the body language, the gestures, touch that are all part of that. You won't get it through a screen as well as in many cases, the social learning style where you sort of bounce ideas off other people, you scaffold for them, you use group settings to elicit healthy competition, these sorts of things, like it becomes that much more difficult in an online setting to really benefit from those. So you have to go sort of the extra mile to make that lesson, that online lesson, last in the memory of your student. So in terms of structure, you know, I think my lessons on my website will still heavily, heavily factor the speaking learning skill at the forefront. You will still get plenty of opportunities for speaking, but especially in business English, one of the great things to consider is role play. So it's a little silly and it takes some getting used to, but it's a great way to step outside that teacher-student dynamic and speak in context, in situations that you'll find yourself in, in English, in your workplace or in your daily life, and to practice, literally to practice in role. So that's something I put a lot of in my curriculum. And then there are the odd activities that pinpoint grammar, 
such as phrasal verbs, for example, um, or the conditional clauses where your student may well have learned them ages ago in their formal studies, whether that's at school or what have you, but it never hurts to cycle it back and refresh that, practice it in different contexts, repeat it again, you know, a year later, because all of my courses are also designed for the, from the teaching point of view, to keep your student with you over the long term, you know, to, because you've developed that relationship. Retention. Yeah. Re student retention. So there's plenty of choice in lesson material. And you can sort of skip in and out if you if you choose, but it's also a step-by-step -step material that one lesson follows on to the next, and then a point that was covered in lesson 12 may come up again in lesson 38. Do you know what I mean? Because that's uh -huh. so important. Retention is only enhanced by repetition. The other thing that's important in a structured lesson, something that's pre-planned, are keeping material in distinct chunks. A language learner has so much sort of confusing tangential information they have to sift the important material out of that keeping it planned and structured and in a tight little ball of that concept really helps the retention long term. It takes away, it strips away all of the accidental stuff that comes up in a spoken conversation and really pinpoints the concept that you're trying to deliver, which is not only great for their memory and their use and their practice of it, but it also makes it easier to signpost that and, and either tick it off or as a from a teaching perspective, I mean. So there are opportunities to write in my curriculum as well, and you should be given those as well as a student, no matter what type of lesson you're taking. Again, this plays back into the learning mm. styles. A lot of people are visual learners where they need to see it written down or mapped out or in some sort of graph. But, you know, we're getting then into the logical learners and numbers and charts and mind maps and just different ways of seeing things and experiencing the information so that it's sort of popping in, in different places in your brain. Mm. Yeah. Wow, so this... yeah, you have to make sure that you're trying to incorporate as I many of that. the learning styles and the skills as possible, really. Right. And that's what it comes down to. Like, you know, that dedication from a student's pers perspective, like, I've had students before who couldn't speak, you know, they, they didn't learn very well in school, although they went to these very good schools, they learned from self, like self-teaching. And mm -hmm. so you, you know, given the writing exercises, like you said, you know, they should be able to journal about things that happened to them the day before or journal about what they're planning on doing tomorrow or any of their goals right. and think about things that are outside you know, again, this is very businessy too. This could be very good. Like, okay, you know what, how can I improve my performance from the yesterday to today? Write it in English, have a discussion about it, you know, talk about it over the course of the week, you know, with student talking time, you know, there's so many yes. different things you could implement, you know? Yeah. And having that plan and that guide and structure, just make sure that you're doing all of them, really, that you're keeping all those balls in the air and that you've built in, you know, homework tasks, for example, that not only sort of 
wrap up and reinforce the previous lessons learning, but maybe even segue to the following lesson. Like a lot of what I do, because I don't want the student having to read a lengthy article, for example, during lesson time is I'll set the article for homework and then we'll talk about it in the following lesson. Or um, I love, I don't know about you, but I love TED Talks and I think there's so mm. many fantastic TED Talks. So sometimes I suggest you know, go watch this particular TED talk, make notes of the five points he makes about innovation or what have you, and we'll discuss them That's next week. So, such a good point. Yeah, it's a great segue and it's a, a super great reinforcement of the, the learning concepts, but on a awesome. business level. So the subject matter is specifically business in, in that course. And it lends itself to a lot of conversation and free talk as the student and the teacher have recognized are really important, but on a specific focused concept, with the peripheral grammar built in, the reading built in, the, um, the writing task built in on that theme. Awesome. Wow, man. Okay. So now going into you and again, people who are interested and what you're talking about from a student's perspective and finding that person that kind of fits these qualities or, you know, they might even reach out to you and, you know, teachers who are interested in teaching from your curriculum. How can they reach out to you? I'll definitely put all the links and everything in the description, but how could they go about doing that? Thanks, Arsenio. Yeah, I mean, I would invite students and teachers to reach out to me on my website. You can try it through a search engine and, and just type in Crystal Clear ESL, it should come up. Or the website address itself is www.esl-curriculum.com. And you can contact me by the email form or the little chat icon on the page. And I'm happy to hear from teachers who want to give the curriculum a try. The site is in development. So right now the business English course is ready to go and being used as we speak. But I am also working on a 672 lesson general step-by-step -step curriculum that brings students from very beginner right up to fluent user of English, which is super exciting oh. because there's nothing out there like that, that a teacher can just, you know, we're on unit one, lesson one. Tomorrow we're doing unit one, lesson two. And like in one of these major companies that you might work for. So the work is there. Um, and, and from, so teachers can just literally sign on and go. And there's a two week free trial period just automatically applied to any new registration. But for students, I would say, don't be shy to get in touch with me and I can make a recommendation of a teacher who will deliver my content in that structured way. And um, I'm also happy to answer any questions, for example, about what to, to look for, what questions to ask a new teacher because it's really important to, to get it right, really. But that said, don't be shy if it's not working out to, to backtrack and try someone else. I mean, ultimately your teacher may have five minutes of feeling a bit down about it, but I think they wouldn't get into this profession if they didn't want what was best for their students. And as you said earlier, if the spark's not there, you can't really force it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I just checked out your search engine. Crystal Clear ESL comes up on Google. 
uh, ESL-curriculum.com and then Facebook and crystalclearesl.com. Uh, so all of that, dude, that's awesome, man. I love the advice that you have given people, man. There's just still so much to touch up on. I just wanted to lay that foundation. Man, that was fantastic. For everyone who's interested in those links, you don't want to go on Google. It's in the description. Make sure Perfect. you get on over to obviously the description and check out and see exactly and reach out to Crystal in any shape or form. She will be waiting. And Yay. again, Crystal, thank you so, so much for this a wonderful podcast. Oh, thanks. I hope we can help some students out with finding a great fit in an online teacher because I think it's such a great opportunity to just benefit from some excellent high quality learning. And what else do we have to do at the minute? <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Why not turn oh, our man. sights to self-improvement, right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. Awesome. Again, thank you so much, Crystal, for tuning in. And with that being said, people, thanks so much for tuning in to another ESL episode. Make sure you reach out to Crystal. Reach out to me. You guys get in touch with us. And we will be waiting. I'm your host, as always, over and out.